When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Welcome to the Family Brain with your host, Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy. Hi, and welcome to the Family Brain. I'm Megan Gibson, and today I will be talking with Kathy Kong, author of Raise Your Voice, why We Stay Silent, and How to Speak Up. I came upon Kathy's book when she first started promoting it last year and was just intrigued. I feel like there's so many reasons why we should be able to speak up and how to speak up, but it's never easy. Um, At least for me, it hasn't been. And I am getting better at it. And I was curious to hear what Kathy had to say about her own experiences and finding her own voice And what I love from her is that she talks about how God's people are not created to be silent and that each of us has been designed in a certain way with certain experiences and certain makeup that make our story unique and that each of us has a role to play in using our voice. So I think that's just powerful. She is a speaker, a journalist, and an activist. And if you wanted to learn more about her, you can find more information at kathykong.com. K-A-T-H-Y-K-H-A-N-G dot com. Hope you enjoy this episode. All right, today I am talking with Kathy Kong, and I'm so excited to talk to you. I've just been listening to your book on Audible, which makes it even more exciting that I'm sort of just right in the middle of listening to your voice in my car. So that's been fun. Um, I don't even know where to begin because your book, Raise Your Voice, just covers, in my mind, all the important things. And they like faith, race, inequality, speaking up. And I just, I don't know, how do you begin when you start telling someone about your book? What, how do you describe it to others? Oh, goodness. That's a great question. I tell people it is about uh, the importance of understanding our God-given voice and how we steward that well in all areas of our life. Um, People who interact and engage with me on social media may have a different idea of who I am. I hope they don't. I hope that, you know, if people meet me after engaging with me online, they meet the same person. Um, But I'm out there. I'm, I'm pretty outspoken. I write, I tweet, 
I post funny pictures, things like that. Um, but I do it from a place of knowing that this is something that God has given all of us. And this is kind of my trying to work through how to steward that well in all of the roles, jobs, spheres that I have. Yes. I love that. I love your, how you talk about something might've been done before, but not by you. You know, somebody might've written something about race or about travel, whatever, whatever topic it is that you're interested in, but no one has ever done it with the, the resources and the characteristics that God has put in you. And so it's going to be different and unique and say something unique every single time. And to me, that's so exciting because I think sometimes people just kind of think, well, that's been done, I, you know, right. but, but not by you. And it's just, right. I don't know, it kind of gives you a little energy to do something next. Yes. Yes. I think it's, especially nowadays because there's so much access to information, books, podcasts, um, blogs, all of that, that it can feel a little overwhelming, you know, that there's just way too much information out there. But I also think because of that, we do forget that we are created differently. There are things that are common and, uh, you know, the same across humanity, but there's something beautiful about learning from one another because we come from different places and spaces and we occupy different roles in life. And so I do think that that's one of the things that kind of the flattening of social media, we forget that we're all very unique people. Yes. Well, what's so been so interesting to me with having this podcast, part of why I wanted to start it was to give people access. I'm a social worker by training and give people access to information that I felt like I had and, and contacts and things, but every single time I am learning something new from people, you know, you sit down and you think you have this idea of, of, you know, I just spoke with someone who is a single mom and I have an idea in my mind of what that's like. And you learn something new every single time. And I'm sure if I spoke to a different single mom, I would learn something else. And it's just, it's so exciting. It just makes you excited for that kind of connection. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know in your book, you talk about how it was a challenge to find your voice and, and sort of growing up and having all these messages about what's okay and what's not okay as a woman, as a Korean woman, as a woman of faith. And I have to tell you, you, while I'm listening to this, I have all, all these, cause I am listening to it cause I'm in my car constantly. Um, I have all these flashbacks of different moments in my life of, you know, sitting somewhere and, and wondering, do I say something? I don't think I can. I don't know if this is allowed. I grew up Catholic and, you know, the men are the only ones who are allowed to speak. You know, I mean, that, that's the rule. Um, I still remember that they came into our classrooms. I went to a Catholic school and this, your book brought back this memory of them asking people to consider becoming a priest. And I said, I was thinking, yeah, I think that that might be something I'd like to do. And they were like, no, Megan, you can't. And I was like, what the heck is this? You know, I just was so, and I was embarrassed. Like, well, then don't come in and ask if you're not going to let me do it. Um, But just so many moments like that where, and you don't realize, sorry, I should be asking you questions and just instead of just talking, talking, talking. But I feel like I didn't realize until I got older that 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 was something that was being done because I didn't even know it at the time. Right. So, right. And it's so normalized. Mm-hmm. 
And we just take it, especially when it's happening while we're younger, we just take it in as, oh, we're, we're being taught. We are learning how to be grown-ups, and this is how you behave as a grown-up. Sometimes you don't say anything, and then at some point you're like, wait, do I ever say mm-hmm. anything? Because I feel like so many of the messages, I think particularly as women, we get are that we shouldn't say anything. And I was actually just having this conversation last night with um, someone at the yoga studio. Mm -hmm. I do yoga too, by the way. If you come to Austin, you'll have to go with me. (laughs) Oh, that would be wonderful. So we were talking about that, and she was saying the same thing. She hadn't really thought about how the book was going to be important to help her remind herself. So she's rather outspoken, but also has realized oh, I need to figure out ways to encourage the other women in my life to speak up, to have an opinion, to be comfortable with maybe ruffling a few feathers because it's just so ingrained in our culture. Yes, no, it's so true. And even, I mean, I don't know if, I don't know how old you are. I'm in my 40s. And I feel like only now am I like, you know what, I don't really care, you know, and I think there takes a a maturity of just kind of that growth. And there are younger people who are able to do this phenomenally. But for me, it took a lot of time to sort of feel like that that's something that I could be okay with. Um, Right, right. I'm in my late 40s. And, uh, and I am in awe of uh, some of the younger leaders that I work with and have had connection to and how how sure they are of their own voices in a way that I certainly wasn't in my 20s and 30s. And I think there are generational aspects to this. I think there's something about the younger generation also growing up with social media and having to figure out at an earlier age how they're going to communicate in different spheres and use different modes of communication. But I also know that I'm, I also feel like not not really running out of time, but I, I don't have time to waste anymore. I think I'm realizing, oh, I'm not the young mom anymore. I'm, I'm actually an older mom of older young adult children who are moving out and doing grown-up things. I don't have time to waste. I need to figure out what I care about, what I'm passionate about, what I am not going to take anymore, what I'm not just going to put up with anymore. And so I do think that that is one of the blessings of aging and maturity is being able to discern and decide, okay, you know what? These things are not important, but these things, oh, yes. Right. They're very important. Yes. And I'm wondering, have you come across or in your, in your thinking about encouraging people to use their voices, have you thought about, like, if you were going to send a message to your younger self, ways to encourage younger people? I mean, I, I understand what you're saying about generationally, but do you think that there's a way to sort of get that confidence more quickly or, or do you think it's just the process? The, you know, God, God has us on our plan. Right. I do think that there's something about uh, resiliency and being okay and comfortable with failure. And I know that 
that certainly was not a message that I got growing up. Mm -hmm. There wasn't room for making mistakes. So it was all about kind of pressing in. And it's not a bad message, right? Pressing into your strengths, doing what you do well so that you can succeed and get the A-plus and all that great stuff. But I also think that when it comes to your voice and being comfortable with speaking up about the things that need to be addressed, I have learned that you're going to screw up Mm. a lot. (laughs) And you're also going to hurt others or be misunderstood. And that's part of it, right? You you might not have the right words the first 400 times. But in those 400 times, you are learning what these words communicate to this group of people Mm -hmm. and how they are going to receive this message. And and I think that there's something about that that I have learned in my adulthood is that making mistakes is okay. It's actually part of life. And we forget that somewhere along the line that that actually applies to everything that we do, even using our voice, speaking up about injustice and the things that are going on in this world. We're going to make mistakes. So I, I, that is one thing that I have tried to communicate to my children and remind myself. And I, I do think that uh, being more comfortable with making mistakes and failure would have helped the process out a little bit. Oh, I love that. And I think it's, it sounds like what you're saying too is like, it's sort of like a muscle. It just gets, it, it, it grows, it develops as you do it. Cause I know I still hold back sometimes when there's something I want to say, and I don't think I know how to say it just perfectly, like to change the person's mind, basically. <laughs> like, And then I just don't do it because I figure, well, I'm not going to change their mind. This is not somebody who's interested in changing their mind. Um, but I, I think that there's still value. And even if you're not going to change somebody's mind, just saying, saying your part, you know, and sort of being okay with, and they will do with it what they may. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And your, your conversation with that person may be one of, again, 300 that they will need to have over a period of time. And it's one more data point Mm -hmm. for them and one interaction that was not necessarily what they were anticipating. But again, I do think that, you know, I don't know how many of us will based on one conversation walk away and go, Oh yes, my opinion on that has totally changed. Right. Right. It's, it's just a series of revisiting the issue at different points in your life with different people speaking into that space, maybe revealing what you didn't see before or what you didn't understand before. So yes, yes, yes. It's, I tell people you cannot approach a single conversation as the one way to change someone's mind. It's not going to happen. But if I, I feel like sometimes it's, what do they say? My, my friend Molly, hi Molly, um, talks about like a shoulder tap from God. Like you just need to say this, you know, and it's, I'm going to keep yeah. on tapping your shoulder until you say yeah. it. And, right. and it might not change somebody's mind. It might not, you know, topple, topple like injustice, but it is that one drop in the bucket that, that right. you personally are being encouraged to give or to do. Right. Um, right. so it's right. a good, and then, and I also, 
I mentioned in the book that it's it's not just around injustice, right? It's it's also being mindful of like yesterday I I got a, a message from somebody I have not talked to or heard from in I don't know how long. And they had read a blog post of mine and they just felt like they needed to let me know that they had been praying for me and these were the things that they appreciated about what I had been doing. And I I wept oh, and okay. responded back, you know, thank you so much. I, you know, I'm going to guess that you have no idea how important it was for me to read those words right now. Yes. Like right now. Mm-hmm. So thank you for doing that because Again, even something like that, so many times where I go, oh, someone's come to mind, I wonder how they are, do I pick up the phone, do I send a text? No, no, Mm -hmm. but, you know, the tap on the shoulder from God may not just be the words you speak to somebody if you don't respond to the tap on your shoulder from God to say, oh, maybe I should say something or reach out to someone or make a comment on that, so... Well, I will say listening to your uh, book also has made me, my best friend from high school is Japanese Italian. So she appears Japanese. Anyway, it's encouraged me, Yumi, to reach out to her and just reconnect a little bit more. I mean, we've stayed in touch, but listening to your story reminds me so much of her story, you know, and, and coming to the United States from, so they came from Brazil, but she came and she didn't speak the language, didn't know which bathroom to use. And I was always in her home sort of observing all of the things that you talk about, about sort of parents that are immigrants and then children who are, you know, wanting to Americanize, but having parents who don't speak the language. I mean, just everything. And it's just, I think I didn't realize what a gift it was to me to have her as a friend to see all of these things. Like, I think it opened me to see things I wouldn't have seen otherwise, if that makes any sense. Um, oh, it does. Yeah. I still remember we were sitting at a restaurant in Maine in this like teeny tiny town in Maine. And she was like, I'm the only other here. And I was like, what are you talking about? And it just wasn't something that was in my vision. Right. And she would right. continually point out things I wasn't seeing. So I think oh, it's yeah. important to have people like that in our lives. One of the questions I have is about, what do you say when people talk about like, well, all people ever do is talk, you know, nobody's listening anymore. What it, what it, what do you think in terms of um, balancing that talking and listening? Well, I think we have sometimes lost the art of conversation and, uh, and because we are so often interacting with each other in a sort of disembodied way. <laughs> so even even on podcasts, right? mm-hmm. it's so strange. We're, we're talking with each other, but I'm not in the room with right. you. I, we've never met. Right. So and I'm asking like, all kinds of personal questions. <laughs> and and these, these kind of disembodied experiences, and we keep up with each other via... Facebook or the Christmas letter mm-hmm. that arrives in December if you're lucky, January if you're usually like me. And and so I do think that there what we've lost in the ability to kind of reconnect and connect globally is that we don't have the back and forth. 
right? So we don't have the ability and we've lost kind of me- muscle memory around the face-to-face conversations where you're trying to read someone's body language or their facial expressions in combination with the tone of voice, which all helps us with listening and helps us also form the words and the ways we are going to respond to that. So I don't, I do think that that's a valid concern is that in today's day and age, it is a lot easier to talk at each other in part because of the ways we are choosing to engage mm-hmm. with one another. And so while I love podcasting and I'm on a podcast team with three other men, it was so good to finally meet two of my other co-hosts in person, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like we had already recorded several podcasts and we had never met in person. And I think that that made recording and having our, you know, conversations a lot easier because then I could kind of picture what they're like, how they move and when they laugh, how JR throws his head back. And so I do think that we do have to take pause and realize are we really listening? Do we hear what people are saying? And can we hear what they're not saying in their body movement, in their you know, facial expressions? Um, and do we have enough information then after listening to also ask good questions? Yes. No, that makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. I, um, in, in preparing for this podcast, I used to do lots of questions to prepare but what I found is that really just listening to what the person's saying gives you what the next question is. You don't need to have your own plan. You, it, it's kind of a fluid thing that takes you and it's always way more interesting that way because it's, it's just a natural progression instead of me looking at these different PowerPoint, you know, that I want to make. Right. right. What advice would you give? So this is one of the questions that, and I actually wasn't thinking about asking you this, but, but now it seems like you might be the, somebody who has some insight on this. I've gotten questions from listeners who their spouse or their partner has different political views than they have and that that's caused a lot of friction. What, what do you think about when you're raising your voice and it might cause distress in your relationship or in your marriage or or in your family. Um, I mean, almost certainly it, it does because you're within a family, you're not going to have everybody agree, but especially with a spouse, what do you say to that? Or have you had people come to you with that? Yeah, I've talked to several people around that and, you know, I'm lucky uh, my my husband and I are on the same page, um, but he also is not as outspoken or in the past has not been as outspoken and has often been the one to ask me, like, hey, might you tone that down mm-hmm. a little? Like, why you got to be that way? And, <laughs> I'm laughing because I know, I know, right? I know that feeling. Yeah, yes. mm-hmm. right? It's so hard. Mm-hmm. There is part of the, do family members, couples actually know and have given time to each other to understand what those differences are and 
where those differences are rooted in. Um, so while I don't have the difference of political opinion here in our home, we certainly do have the difference of opinion on what is the best way to go about changing things mm -hmm. and, and what's appropriate and what do you say when something happens at work, that kind of stuff. And um, it has taken us a long time. We've been married almost 26 years, and I think we're still working on it to figure out, like, oh, why? Uh, what are our concerns around safety, mm -hmm. security? Uh, where do those values stem from in our families of origin? And then how does that play out in our political views? I do think that there is some need to go really deep. And I also find that in families, even though whether it's marriage or your family of origin, um, because you are physically around each other all the time, or there's been a time where you've been around each other for a long time, you think you really know people, but I don't think we do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I like my sister and I love each other, but there are times where I'm like, I actually do not understand how the two of us who grew up in the same family could have such differing opinions on parenting or marriage. I, and, and then we have to kind of go deep and go, oh, that's, oh, you, you are the baby of this family. Mm -hmm. so those are the messages you got that I never got because all I got was, you're the responsible one. You're the older sister. You are the mother when I am not around, right? Like, right. Oh, so I do think that that's part of the tension. And there's always in any relationship having to decide, is this the moment? Is this the fight? Is this the battle? Right? It's a lot like parenting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like. I just decided this morning I'm not even going to bother with teeth anymore. Like, if they have to get fake teeth, like, that's on them. You know, I'll say it once, and it's up to them. You know? Like, sorry, I'm out. <laughs> well, and that, that's one that will never end here because my husband is a dentist. Oh. So I'm like, okay, well, if you want to fight that one, that one's on you. Right? You I mean, can argue with them about brushing their teeth, but I have other things that I am well, more... At least he's yeah. your point person for that. When they ask me if okay. they floss, I'm like, is that a joke? Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, they can tell if you haven't been flossing. Oh, for sure. <laughs> That's, I'm not even going to lie. Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to get off on a sidetrack. No, but no. But, I, you know, I think it is part of deciding to pick and choose your battles. And I don't go into every family gathering already to you know, make my point and argue every single person in the room, I have to decide like, oh, maybe I don't understand that person well enough and I'm gonna listen. Or yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna put an end to this conversation right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's tricky. I mean, I was just talking to my son about this because there was a group um, of kids who were making inappropriate jokes. He wasn't, but he was there. And then how do you handle that? You know, and then I was talking to my husband about what you say and what you don't say. 
And my husband was saying, well, you just say that's wrong. And I'm like, adults can't even do that. You know, I mean, so how are we expecting this child to go up to a lunch table and say, that is wrong. You know, maybe he could say something like, Hey dude, like we don't need another call from the principal. Like, come on, you know, something sideways and sort of what in that moment is acceptable. And sometimes what are we asking our kids to do that we cannot do? You know, I mean, it's, we're not doing it. Yeah. So like maybe that's right. step one is to model that kind of behavior and then let them decide, you know? Right, right. And, you know, in the parenting world, we hear all the time, it takes a village, right? It takes a village. And I have been so grateful for the people around us who have taken that responsibility seriously and have, you know, heard my kids in some place, right, laughing inappropriately about something, whether it's at their home or they are the chaperone somewhere and stepping in Mm -hmm. and saying something. Whereas I feel like also, right, like you could be in the park or a shopping mall and as adults we will hear kids, teenagers, other adults saying and doing things that are completely inappropriate and you know, more, more often than not, I will choose not to engage, right? Like, oh, I don't know them. It doesn't matter. Uh, my favorite these days is uh, you don't know if they're armed. Right? Yeah, I was just thinking that. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately. It's, it's a very real mm-hmm. thing. It's real thought process to go through. But like you said, I do think that we do ask our children or at least tell them this is what we should do. I don't know how often, as adults, we are actually willing to do that in our workplaces, in our places of worship. I mean, you know, over and over, I think the adult motto is like, oh, just let it go. Mm -hmm. You know, it has nothing to do with you. Um, But, you know, as as you had been reading or listening Mm -hmm. to my book, like for me, as a woman, as an immigrant, Korean-American, like, a lot of times it actually does have to do with me. Mm-hmm. Maybe not me as an individual, but it has to do with me. And again, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I'm looking at my fifties, not too long from now. Like I, I just, I don't care if people don't like me. Mm-hmm. I don't care if my own children don't like me. Yeah. That this, I, I don't care anymore. Right. I cared a lot in high school. Right. I cared less in college. I don't care yes. anymore. I don't. Isn't it the best feeling? I, I know. It it's is. the best feeling. I did not anticipate this happening, you know, and, and right around 40 was when it started. So anytime somebody's telling me they're turning 40, I'm like, oh, it's good stuff. Like, you don't even care. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. yeah. But you do care. You care about what matters to you, right? It, you care about what matters to you, and you don't care about the things that don't matter. I mean, it's right. it's right. it's very freeing. Right, and it's not always, you know, deep, serious stuff. It's not, and I think that's also the reminder in the book. It's not just, you know, about, like, being angry about all of the big injustices of the world. Sometimes it's just angry that something didn't go right this week or, like, this week here in Chicagoland. It, it's been freezing cold. Mm-hmm. I watched you throw your water in the air. That was yeah, cool. It's it so fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's really crabby. Yeah. Because we have been cooped up inside. Right. And I have had to remind myself, okay, 
that doesn't mean you to be a jerk the minute you get free. Right. Right? Like, yeah. just because you're going to go to the grocery store today for the first time in four days does not mean you need to be a jerk because somebody left the shopping cart out in the middle of a parking spot. Maybe they were cold. Right. Maybe they don't have the mobility. I don't know. But today, I do not get to be a jerk. Yeah, and just taking inventory of your own. I have I have noticed that with myself, whether it be sleep or hunger or maybe I had a little too much wine. You know, like maybe don't use your voice as much when you know you're not running on all cylinders. You know what I mean? I think that, that that's, that's something, discernment also, is when are you able to actually most clearly say what you need to say? And if you're not taking care of yourself or, you know, you've had a bad spell... Um, it's harder to be clear about what you want to say. And honestly, to me, that motivates me to take better care of myself. Because if I want to use my voice well, I need to like make sure I'm not running myself into the ground. Because then I just sound like a fool. (laughs) Well, and it's funny too, because when I think back, you know, my children are much older now, but I do think back to when they were toddlers. And I would ask them like, why are you upset? Are you hungry? Are you tired? Mm-hmm. Are you not feeling well? Because you're not making any sense right now. And I think, oh, I should probably still ask myself those questions in this kind of self-assessment before I open my mouth right. at that family gathering. Yes. Or start typing on Facebook for me. Yes. <laughs> like, I, I can't tell you the number of times I've typed something out very vigorously and then I'm like, just delete it. Just delete it. Yeah. That felt good to write it. And now we just delete it. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, I'm wondering, is there anything you were hoping I would ask you about that I haven't gotten to? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I'm not sure. I was, I was enjoying listening some, uh, to some of your past podcasts and really enjoying, like, also knowing that you are um, working with youth and adults around mental health and maybe talking a little bit around mental health and the aspect of owning your voice. Ooh, that's good. Yes. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, because I do think there's also that, um, so my, my faith background as a Christian, we use the phrase a lot around dying to ourselves, which can actually be very self, self-destructive in unhealthy ways. Um, and as somebody who's been diagnosed with depression, I'm on medication for that, uh, I'm very open and honest with my children, my husband, about um, you know, being on medication. The kids have known that I've been on medication for a number of years. When I'm in therapy and I have to go to an appointment, I'm very clear about, like, oh, I'm going to my therapist, not, like, mommy is going to take some time out for herself. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I think that that, for me, has also been really helpful is that I find uh, my mental health is in a better place and I feel more whole when I have a sense of what is important to me and what are the things that I am going to consistently 
address and speak up about um, that connected to that freedom is a bit of the uh, losing the self-doubt that I think hangs pretty heavy uh, when I'm in the thickest of my depression is I, I'm very uncertain of who I am, what I should do, what I can even accomplish in a given day. I think it's helped me to uh, be able to make some connections around how I have silenced myself and what what has been for self-preservation and what in that self-preservation actually hasn't been healthy mm-hmm. um, and having to work that out. Yeah. And so, and some of those, those habits or those things that are for self-preservation, they work until they don't yes. work anymore, you know, and then, yes. then it's okay. That got me to this point and got me through whatever else was going on. But now that, that method is no longer serving me. And now what? Um, right. no, I think therapy can be a huge help in helping people find their voice and, when you're experiencing a mental illness, if you're experiencing depression or anxiety, or if you just don't feel like you know, you know, who you are, or what you want, um, just sort of processing through and, and working through with somebody else can be huge and such a big help. Um, no, I love what you're saying. And sometimes I think some of the mental illness is exacerbated by not using your voice, not saying what you need, not asking for help not saying, Hey, this person isn't treating me well, you know, what, whatever the case may be. Um, and that's where those, the messages are so dangerous sometimes about keeping things in and, and it just how they sort of boil and brew. Um, no, I think that's a great point. I love that. Yeah. And you know, that there may have been history of asking for help and it's denied Mm -hmm. and, and that had happened when you were younger. And but you you keep that method of keeping things to yourself, not realizing, oh, you're you're older and you have more agency. You might have more access to not just different people, but different um, ways to get the help that you need. So I I tell people um, that Therapy counseling isn't just for when you need help out of your depression or to diagnose mental illness. I think that it's just a helpful way to talk through some of the reasons why or to get to the reasons why we don't speak up, Mm -hmm. um, why we are afraid of failure, why we want to be liked so desperately, Mm -hmm. right? All of those things aren't necessarily tied to my depression, but it certainly helped to walk through those things with a therapist to go, oh, and you know what? I don't need to do that anymore because I don't care. Right. (laughs) Right. Well, and it's funny because I, you know, had provided therapy to people for years, but had never been on the other side, which was not good because that should be part of your training. Um, 
But when I sat down with a therapist, I was like, I can see why it's intimidating because there is so much focus on you, but how liberating too, to thank you for, you know, taking the time to sort of unravel the things I'm saying and help me make sense of them. Because as of right now, they're just brewing around in my head and they're in a big knot, you know, and they just sort of help you pull those strings apart and, and make a little bit more order in your brain. I feel like it's like a professional organizer for your brain, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Yes, that's how I felt. I felt like, okay, she's helping me put things back where they kind of belong. So it's not just like clutter all over the floor. Um, So, well, no, that is, that is a great point. And that is primarily why I started this podcast was just to help people get access to resources and help people not feel so alone in a lot of the things they struggle with that, you know, this, the Me Too movement, I think with um, women identifying with other women who have been harassed or assaulted. And I think there's so much to that of me too, whatever it is, depression, um, isolation, you know, like feeling cooped up in the polar vortex, you know, like me too, you know, we're, we're in this together and, and you're not isolated. You're not alone. But if you don't use your voice to then make that connection it's very easy to trick yourself into thinking I'm the only one, like what, what happened to me? Something I'm wrong, you know? Well, thank you so much. You are awesome. And I really hope I do get to meet you in person one day. Um, The last question I ask people is around their self care and what they do to help take care of themselves while they're, you know, spreading all their good work and helping other people. So I'm curious what you do for your, your self care. So um, we mentioned yoga earlier, and I have been practicing yoga for probably a decade now. And just about a year ago, I finished teacher training. So I became a yoga teacher as well. And so both the practicing and the teaching is part of my self-care. I realize that yoga can get very expensive if you're practicing in a studio and, you know, feel like you need to buy the fancy mat and the fancy clothes. Um, But one of the things that I've enjoyed most is to be able to take uh, my yoga practice and bring it kind of at home. There's a lot that I do in terms of watching my breath and noticing um, if my breathing gets shallow and taking the time to take a few deep breaths every day throughout the day. Um, That's one of the things that I do. Uh, The other thing that I do on a regular basis is sit in front of a sunny window. Mm. Um, I, uh, you know, it's like four degrees outside. I know. Sorry. (laughs) my, My living room is also my home office, and one of the beautiful things about that is I get the morning sun and I uh, I will sit in front of the window and people walking by with their dogs look in and they're a little startled to actually see a human in mm-hmm. the um, it's you know they're like oh I didn't there are people there yes um, but I do that because uh, the vitamin D is important for my body And just the recognition that it's another day is one of the things that I do. And then um, I know there's a lot of talk around self-care and how it becomes, uh, it's very money-driven or can sound money-driven, right? Like, oh, you go to a spa, you have a salon, 
right. do all that kind of stuff. And I do those things when I can make that happen. But it's breathing. It's making sure I get some sun. If it is not dangerously cold, like it was the last two days, I try to get a little bit of time outside, even in the winter, just to get some fresh air. And um, these days, I've really been working hard on my sleep. Mm. Um, I, you know, for years when you're raising small children, it's amazing how you think you are functioning on like four hours of sleep. And I think that there are many of us who have done that for a long time in our lives. And I just hit a wall a few years ago, like when I hit 45, I just hit this wall and I was like, I can't, I can't function on six hours of sleep. In fact, I think I need seven to eight hours of sleep. Yes. And so now I'm working really hard to do that. That's awesome. I have also been working on that. And I think it's encouraging. This is again, raising your voices. I'm trying to remember who the woman is. It's a very powerful CEO person who's all about sleep. And I feel like there's all these different people coming up to talk about sleep. And there's this great thing on Instagram called the nap ministry. Have you seen this? It's so cool. And it's basically talking about how like rest is sort of a radical act sometimes when in this hustle culture and they have all kinds of cool, like sort of little, uh, slogans, but, um, I, I love that. I'm also working on my sleep. And I see that that makes a difference, too, in, in how I show up. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I have loved talking to you. Did I cut you off? Was there something else you wanted to say? Okay. Um, and I hope I do get to meet you in person sometime. Do you have any book tour stops coming up? Nothing really. Things were really busy the first, I'd say, like two, three months. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, have kind of quieted down. Uh, so I'm hoping I've only been to Austin once for some work conference, which meant I didn't really see the city. I just saw the convention center. Did you speak at if I did not No. Okay. I was thinking I had gone to that and I was thinking, I wonder if I saw her there. There's so many speakers that they, I start to, it's hard to keep track of everybody. Yes. Well, if you're back in Austin, I would love to connect because you, I think we would have lots to talk about. Um, but thank you so much for sharing your time. And I, I love, um, I love your book and I'm excited to share it with other people. I've already been telling friends about it, that you have to read this. This is, I think that there's a lot of my friends that are in that forties zone that are starting to use their voices more. And it's, it's, it, it, it almost feels like a skateboard, you know, like, okay, I'm on it, but, and this is, feels good, but I, am I going to fall? What, what's going on? Um, so I think it's, I think it's a message that a lot of people are looking for. So thank you so much for sharing your, your work with us. Thank you. All right. Take care. Stay warm. Thanks for listening to this episode of the family brain with Kathy Kong, author of raise your voice, why we stay silent and how to speak up. I hope you check out her book either by reading it or listening to it on Audible like I did. Audible is not the sponsor of my podcast, but I would like it to be. So Audible, call me. Um, I enjoy Audible because I feel like there's so many books I want to read and I'm in the car a lot driving around and it's a nice way for me to quote unquote read the books by listening to them. So it's been a fun way to get to the books that I want to get to. 
If you haven't already, I would love it if you join the Family Brain Facebook group. You can just look up Family Brain on Facebook and I will add you to the group or check out Family Brain Podcast on Instagram where I post quotes or upcoming episodes. Sometimes I ask questions to see what people are interested in learning more about. So I would love for you to do that. And if you don't know how to share an episode, I'm going to tell you. At the bottom of your screen on your phone, um, if you're listening on a phone, there are three dots on the bottom right corner. You push that and then you can share the episode if there's an episode that you'd like to share. So it's fun. It's free. So if there's something that makes an episode that makes you think of someone that you know or you think somebody might benefit, share it so they can have it too. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.